Well, good evening, Grace Church. It's great to see everybody here on campus tonight, those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live. Welcome. Glad you've chosen to be part of the service tonight. Why don't you look at somebody nearby, give them a smile, tell them you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord on a Wednesday night. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together tonight as we, as we begin our service, and I uh, just want to take a moment and invite God's presence into this place, ask that God would anoint everything that's done here in the sanctuary and also in kids' church, and then also if you have a need tonight, would you just make that known by the lifting of your hand? God sees every need, every heart, and I believe he is ready and willing to hear our prayer and to answer on our behalf. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, Grace Church, what do you say? Jesus... We enter into your gates with thanksgiving. We enter into your courts with praise, God. Thank you for everything you've done and everything you are. Lord, there is none like you. There's none beside you, none before you and none after you. We give you praise tonight in this house. Hallelujah. We give you praise in this house. Oh, we enter in, Jesus. You're good. You're worthy. You're holy. You're righteous. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm praying, God, that your anointing would flow on this campus. Lord, touch our minds, touch our hearts, everything that's said and done, anointing Kids Church tonight, and every need that was uh, manifest here tonight, every need that was mentioned here tonight. Lord, I pray you would move, that you would work, that you would uh, do what only you can do to the glory of God. We'll be careful to give you the praise. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap our hands to Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated tonight. Again, thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord. There's an echo again tonight. That seems to happen when I, when I speak, and uh, it's just, you know what? It's, it's twice as much uh, preaching, you know? We'll be here twice as long, I guess. Um, just remember two things. I, th I think they're working on that echo. They'll be going here in just a second. Um, two things, don't forget uh, 21 Days of Sacrifice, that'll begin on February the 19th, mark your calendar, wanted to give everybody an advance notice so that you could plan for that, and then also mark your calendar for the weekend of February 23rd through 25th, Dr. Rhea Cooper will be with us in, those, in that service and on that weekend, so uh, mark your calendar for that, if you got it, say I got it, amen, amen. Hey, what an awesome service we had here Sunday. Uh, Brother Holloway's message will not soon be forgotten. Uh, just, just an incredible word from the Lord. I appreciate the, the folks that were here, uh, the tremendous crowd we had, and then the response, not only from the presence of God responding to us, but our response to the presence of God. It was just so beautiful and um, tremendous, tremendous service and uh, just still thinking about that and, and basking in the in the presence of God and the word of God that went forth here this past weekend. You never you don't want to miss, right? You don't want to miss. There's always something amazing happening uh, here uh, at Grace Church through the ministry of the word and through the ministry of the presence of God. With all of that introduction being said, I do want to uh, go to the Word of God tonight. We'll be going to Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to begin turning there. But I want to make some introductory uh, comments as you, as you begin turning there in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we'll begin tonight. Um, I'll just tell you up front uh, from, from the beginning here tonight, 
I look back in my notes, and uh, I taught this exact Bible study, this exact material, almost four years ago, summer of 2020. Does anybody remember what was happening in 2020? And uh, by, by the summer of 2020, we were back from quarantine. COVID, of course, was still running uh, its course, and a lot of people affected by that, a lot of families affected by that. It was still very dangerous. Excuse me, this is my prop. And I knew I was going to do that. Just pretend like you didn't see it yet. Uh, uh, but COVID was going on. COVID was, was running rampant. We had come back to church. And I had been working on this thought and this message for quite some time. And I felt like the time was right to share it. And it's regarding the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God. Maybe looking at that in a different way than we've looked at it before. And as I began to, to seek after God's will for the service tonight and, and meditate and pray about what I might share with you, it, it, I realized that as important as the Word of God was then to get us, I don't want to, I almost said to get us through COVID, but it, it's, it's not like we were just barely hanging on and the, and the Word of God just barely got us through. But if the Word of God was our bedrock, if it was our, if it was, was our support and our standard and our our, our, our rock of refuge in a time of distress, then how much more now four years on? Think about where we're at now four years on. I, I don't know if, how close you're keeping up with the situation in the Middle East, but I'm reading um, uh, reliable journalism that says we're at war in the Middle East. The United States is at war at the middle, in the Middle East. We just haven't called it that yet. But it's coming very soon. It'll be labeled that. Um, the, the tides of culture. I mean, if, if, if that doesn't make your head spin, you know, the ups and the downs and what's in and what's out and what's accepted and, and what, what passes for morality and, and all of those things. Um, I would say that in, in, those, in those regard, in that regard, in, in those ways, we are not better off four years on in terms of culture and world situation. But the Word of God is still the same. The Word of God has not changed. And if it is our strength, if it is our strong tower, if it's our shield and our buckler and our, our defense through any type of trouble, then it's still true today. And so I thought, you know what, it's, it'd be good to go back and revisit this Bible study for those reasons. There's another reason uh, that I believe is, is kind of filtering through my experience and through my thought process and and that is this after the service Sunday I had an opportunity to talk to brother Holloway for just I mean two three minutes at the most and in that short compressed time frame he laid out a whole other Bible thought and Bible study and sermon and it was so rich and so good I wanted to just say hey let's have everybody be seated and you can preach the second sermon here today it was so good he's he's so knowledgeable the word of God but the the long and short of what he had to say and I won't go into the to the the scriptures and all that that he shared but the bottom line is this he said that we're you know we're the things I just mentioned we're in a storm the the the, the society culture politics the world none of that's getting better and the church that will survive the the family that will survive the per, uh, the, the the individual that will survive is the one that knows the truth, that holds on to the doctrine, that believes and, and trusts in the Word of God. And so that was informing my thoughts as well. And then finally, last thing, and we'll turn to our text. This weekend, as you know, we had 
a Bible quizzing tournament in Monroe, Texas, Louisiana, open. By the way, you saw Sunday, but our Bible quizzes are Elena Bunch, Heston Bunch, Joseph Whiteley, Noah Whiteley, and Lainey Taylor. They're doing a tremendous job of representing you in quizzing. And um, something happened at the tournament that happens every time I go to a tournament. And, I, and, and it's so regular that this occurs that I was waiting for it. I, I, was, I thought to myself, will, will it happen this time? And it did. Happened again this weekend. There's a point in the tournament after you have sat and listened to the word of God being quoted for hours, honestly, over and over and over again. There comes a point in time, at least for me, I don't know if it happens to anybody else, but there's this feeling, it's just a peace that washes over you. There, there's a love for truth that just begins to rise up within you. There's, there's a, a joy unspeakable that you begin to feel. And it's just a, it's this beautiful, it's a feeling, but it's a, the presence of God through experiencing his word being quoted and, and being in an atmosphere where his word is quoted. And, and here's what I believe is happening. I believe the Bible says we are washed by the water of the word. And so I believe when you hear the word quoted like that, I believe when you hear the, the Bible preached and taught like we're doing here tonight, like we do on Sundays, I believe we're washed by the water of the word. And so that was on my mind as well. And it's so important that we understand these things. We understand the different roles that the word of God plays in our lives, in our walk with God. It's not, it's not optional. Can I say it that way? The word of God is not optional. Our interaction with the word of God is not optional. It's not uh, I may talk about this a little bit more in, emphatically in a moment, but it, it's not just surplus that we, we pick it up if we have time and, oh, I didn't get to it today, but maybe I'll have time tomorrow. It, it's of the utmost value and the utmost importance because it plays so many significant roles in our life, but it, at the end of the day, heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. We've got to have the word of God actively working in our lives. Because all else is going to pass away into shifting sand. So with that backdrop and that idea, again, if, 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 if perchance someone here remembers four years ago that I taught this before, those are some of the reasons that informed my, my being led in this direction tonight. And so let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, Finally, my brethren, in conclusion... Not in conclusion of my sermon, but in conclusion of his letter. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, high places. There's a dimension in a world we cannot see. It's a spiritual world. And we need the guidance of the word of God to help us. Wherefore, and because of that, take, on, uh, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We're in the evil day, as we've already mentioned. And having done all, to stand. Again, he says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So he defines what the sword of the Spirit is. It is 
the Word of God. And so from that, I want to teach from this topic tonight, this thought, there is no sword like this one. There is no sword like this one. Taking on the whole armor of God, especially the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The media team's going to put a word on the screen for you. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. And um, if anybody would like to try, I'll be happy to bring you the microphone. Um, I was going to type it into my translation app on my iPhone, but iPhone doesn't translate into Icelandic. And this is an Icelandic word. This is actually the name of an Icelandic volcano, a volcano in Iceland. I can't say it. I have no idea how to say it. I'm not going to try. That volcano erupted in 2010, endangering the island of Iceland. And within the island, on the island, is a place called the Skogar Folk Museum. I can say that, Skogar Folk Museum. And um, as that, they knew the, the, the volcano was getting ready to erupt, and so they were making preparations. And so as the curator of the museum began to close up shop, preparing for the worst eruption of the volcano, he looked around to see if there was anything that he would want to take with him and save should the worst occur and their museum be wiped out along with the entire island. There are over 15,000 objects in the Skogar Folk Museum. And so he paused and looked around. These, these 15,000 objects represents the material history of that entire nation. And he did a quick survey and he walked out with one object, a book. Around 1530, the year 1530, the first printing press was shipped to a Catholic bishop on the island of Iceland. And around 1550, 20 years later or so, the island converted to Protestantism. And it was during that time that the Bishop of Holman used this printing press to produce the first complete Bible in the Icelandic language. They distributed at least one to every church on the island. And again, it was published in 1584. It was 600 pages long. And uh, each one was valued at the price of three cows in 1584. And each parish was obligated to buy one at the cost of three cows. Very few remain today in existence, but one remained in the, uh, the Skogar Folk Museum. And it was that 1584 Bible that the curator selected as the only thing to save in the face of impending destruction. The point being that about 15,000 objects, he thought the Bible uh, was the most valuable thing to preserve and the most representative of Iceland's uh, history. The Word of God is of immeasurable value. It's of immeasurable value. Again, it's not optional. It's not something that we should just think about, um, think about interacting with now and then. It, it, it should have the most valuable place in our life. There's nothing that can take its place. I'll go further by saying that if, if we're to be successful in navigating this day, this hour, uh, again, to echo the words of Brother Holloway, Sunday, if we're going to navigate this, if the storm that, that's swirling 
spiritually, culturally, politically, internationally. If we're going to navigate all of that and survive it and even thrive in it, it's going to be because the Word of God has priority in our lives. And not, not just the fact that the Word of God has priority in our lives, but the truth of the Word of God. We have to understand it. We have to know what is true. Because people can take things and, 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 and make a lot of false conclusions through incorrect interpretation of the Bible. Pastor showed me an article uh, Friday at the quiz tournament. He was, he was looking through the news, and there was a news article, a, a denominal uh, minister, a, a bishop of some kind, uh, was, was twisting the word of God to justify the immoral uh, agenda of the world. And, 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 and so the, the scriptures can be taken and twisted. So it's our job to understand the truth, not just to have the word of God, but the truth of the word of God, to know what it says, to know the doctrine. And so there's no other, there's no other weapon to engage the battle like this one, this, this word of God. It is our key weapon. It is our primary defense. It's our prim primary offense, not to be offensive, but to go on the offensive against the devil is the word of God. And so I draw my title tonight, not only from the writings of Paul referring to the word of God as a sword, but there's a, one of my favorite passages of scripture. I, I, I like to imagine how it might have played out. I really take my title from 1 Samuel chapter 1. In this setting, David is fleeing from Ahimelech. And, um, the, or I'm sorry, he's fleeing from his enemies and he runs to Ahimelech, the high priest. And David had to leave in such a hurry. He was in so much danger. He had no food. He had no weapons. And he gets to Ahimelech, the high priest, and he says, I need food and I need weapons. And so the priest offers him the showbread. And David says, I'll take it. And then David says, do you have any weapons? Is there anything I can take to fight battle and go against the enemy? And Ahimelech says, this is where I like to kick in my imagination. He says, well, there is one sword here. It's the sword of Goliath who you slew, who, whom you have slain. And David said, and I'm sure Goliath's sword was a lot different than this one. And uh, I, do think, I do thank young Heston Bunch for allowing me the use of his sword for a prop. We'll have to ask Brother Steve why Heston has swords laying around the house, but... Uh, he, he, he says, the sword of Goliath whom you slain. Now, David would have been very familiar with this sword, right? He was the one that relieved Goliath of his sword, to put it nicely, right? He knew about this sword. He knew the heft of it. He knew the damage it could inflict. He knew how sharp it was. He, 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 I, I imagine David maybe having to, to lift it with two hands because this was the sword that used to belong to a giant. And David says, when Ahimelech offers it to, to him the sword of Goliath, David says, there is no sword like that one. Give it to me. In other words, I'll take it. That's the best of the best. If I'm going to battle, I couldn't ask for a better weapon than the sword of Goliath. And again, I'll just say, there is no sword like the word of God to engage the battle. No sword like this one. 
The, uh, again, P, uh, Paul calls it the sword of the Spirit. So let's, uh, let's make some observations here tonight. And this is where I want to challenge you to think about the Word of God. Maybe, or let, let me say it this way, let's approach the Word of God a little different maybe than we have in the past. First of all, I want to make some comments. It is a most divine weapon. There's no sword like the Word of God because it is a most divine weapon. Everybody say divine. It is divine. Um, we know, we know that the Bible is the Word of God. We know that, but let's be honest and, and, and transparent here and real. It does take faith to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We, the Bible says, he that cometh to, uh, to God must believe that he is. You've got to believe. There is an element of faith involved in believing that this is the Word of God. However, that being said, even with the faith that it takes, we're still not without proof. There, there's great proofs of the scriptures. Let's, let's talk a little bit about this. The scriptures claim to be inspired, that is the words of God, roughly 2,500 times. More than 3,000 times in the Old Testament, the scriptures claim they are the word of God. About 175 times in Psalms 119 alone, the scriptures are exalted as the word of God. I, I really take great comfort in the fact that Jesus in his earthly ministry, his earthly life, he referred to what we would call the Old Testament. He referred to it in its, in, in its completion, uh, or in, I should say in its major divisions uh, in his time. Look at Luke 24, 44. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, Jesus talking, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms. He mentions these three distinct sections of the Hebrew Old Testament. These were divisions that would have readily been recognized by Jesus' Jewish audience. Back, the, the Hebrew Bible, and, and especially back at that, in that time, um, it was divided into these three sections, the um, the law, the law of Moses would have been the first five books of Scripture. We probably understand that fairly intuitively. The prophets included major and minor prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and the Kings. And the Psalms were a broader category comprising Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Chronicles. So bottom line, Jesus referred to all of what we call the Old Testament in his ministry. So he validated that as the word of God. Paul declared, so that's, that's Jesus. Paul declares that, the word, that, it's, that his epistles were the commandments of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul writes, If any man think himself to be a prophet, listen to how he words this, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of of the Lord. So Paul's saying, if you think you're a Christian, if you think you're um, spiritual, then you need to acknowledge that what I'm writing came from the Lord. Peter acknowledged that Paul's writings were scripture, 2 Peter 3.16. Talking about Paul, he says, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures. So Peter puts 
Paul's writings on the elevation of other scriptures. Perhaps the most emphatic verse pertaining to the divine inspiration of the Bible, stating clearly it doesn't just contain the word of God, it is the word of God, is 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we understand that that word inspiration there, the Greek is theonoustos, which means God breathe. God breathe. It's, all scripture is divinely inspired. It is God breathe. So consider this about the word of God. That's some internal evidence for the the, the divine reality of the word of God, but let's consider it further. That the Bible uh, was ever a book and, and today still stands as the book is quite a miraculous concept and fact. There, there were never instructions for somebody to sit down and write the Bible like we would write a book. Like, you know, like you might get inspired and say, okay, I'm going to write a novel, Right? And so you sit down and you start at the beginning and, you know, it, it reaches kind of the apex, the suspense, and then you, you finish it off and it, and, it, and it concludes and everybody lives happily ever after. No, nobody sat down in one moment of time and said, Let, let's write that, that arc, you know, from beginning to end and make sure it's all woven together. Rather, it was pieced together over time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate that. It was written little by little, century by century. Over 40 various writers wrote or contributed to the scripture without intentional forethought of any kind, no planned arrangement. It was written on three continents and countries hundreds of miles apart over the course of 1,600 years. It was written in Syria, Italy, Greece, Arabia, the deserts of Sinai, the wilderness of Judea, the cave of Adullam, the prison of Rome, the Isle of Patmos, by the rivers of Babylon, and by the banks of the Chabar. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. The first part of the Bible was written about 1,500 years before the man who wrote the last part of the Bible was even born. The authorship of the 66 books that collectively make up what we refer to as our Bible extends across 16 centuries. Consider this, it was written by men on every level of political and social life. From the king on his throne, all the way to herdsmen, shepherds, and fishermen. These sacred words were written by princes, poets, philosophers, and physicians. Writers with the wisdom of Egypt, the education of Babylon, and the training at the feet of Gamaliel. It was written in tents, deserts, cities, palaces, and dungeons. It was written in times of imminent danger and seasons of ecstatic joy. What would we naturally expect from a volume with a background so diverse across time, socioeconomic status, and geographic location as that? We would anticipate a volume that was unorganized and lacking any sort of organic unity. But in the case of the Bible, we find exactly the opposite. Every part of the Bible fits every other part of the Bible from beginning to end. Let's think about it this way. 
Imagine taking all of the great writers, the scholars, the philosophers, those who have shared their thoughts with us through the written word across many, many centuries. So, for instance, take Augustine. Come down and take parts of Dante, Milton, Spencer, fragments of Bacon, Calvin, and Knox. Add passages of Shakespeare, Bunyan, Newman, and Tennyson. Continue until you have gathered 40 to 50 writers across the centuries. Bind them all into one volume, and roughly you, kind of ha you have a kind of literary parallel to the range and scope of the material used by the Holy Spirit in composing the Bible. And yet a combining of these works and these authors into one volume would produce a philosophical and literary mess full of contradiction and rife with changes in the evolution of human thought. But with the Bible, but with the Bible, there is perfect harmony throughout Scripture from the very first verse of Genesis to the last verse of Revelation. The Bible, with its miscellaneous collection of writings, and despite all the various conditions, authors, and epochs of time, is not unified only in one book. It really stands as just one book. We just say the Bible, the Bible, and we consider it an entire book. Then you have the prophecies that have been fulfilled. I'll just cover that very briefly of, of the approximate 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ all were fulfilled. That's just one example. Some 25 prophecies concerning Jesus were fulfilled on the day of crucifixion alone. And there's, of course, many, many other prophecies. So in the Bible, bottom line is this. It is a most divine weapon. We find one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one doctrine, one plan of salvation, one ethic of faith. There is no sword like this one because it is a divinely inspired book. It is, again, it doesn't just contain the words of God. It is the word of God. The Bible is a most indestructible weapon. It is a most indestructible weapon. It is eternal. It will last forever. As I, as I began earlier, you know, fads come and go. What's popular come and go, will come and go. What's acceptable to society comes and goes. Political stances and political uh, attitudes and postures come and go. The word of God stands sure, it stands forever. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not, shall not pass away. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word cannot be destroyed, but there have been those in history that have tried. Do you remember the, you remember the passage in Jeremiah? Remember when God instructed Jeremiah to write the words of God and it spelled judgment for the king? And, the, and when they brought the words that Jeremiah had written to the king, the king took out a knife and began to cut them out, cut, you know, cut the pages and toss them into the fire, thinking that he could do away with the word of God just by destroying it like that. And of course, the word of God came again to Jeremiah and he rewrote the words of God. The king was not left without having the words of God, even though he tried to get it throughout history or even though he tried to destroy it throughout history. There have been those who have attempted to stamp it out, to burn it, destroy it, get rid of it, but it still exists today. It remains, it remains the world's best-selling book of all time. It is the most translated book of all time. It's been completely translated into 300 languages. Portions have been translated into almost 2,000 
languages. It reminds me of Isaiah 40 and 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Not gonna, it's not going to fade away. It's not going to pass away. The challenge is for us, this indestructible weapon. It's secure. It's, it, it's going to do its work. It's not going to fail. Our challenge is to take a hold of it and hold on to it and employ it in battle. We have to grip it. The problem is that sometimes, it's a, it's, even though it's an indestructible weapon, it does its part. The problem is that sometimes we forget to take it up. We forget to use it. Uh, maybe it's neglected sometimes. Maybe we need to, to take the dust off of it and polish it up a little bit, sharpen it up a little bit, and employ it. It's our job to pick it up and use it. And I'm, and I'm thinking about uh, one, of, one of David's mighty men when he, when he engaged the battle with the enemy. And the Bible says he took his sword and he fought with it all day long. Uh, fought with that sword fighting the enemy so much so that his hand claved to the sword. They had to pry his hand off of the sword uh, at the end of that day because he had such a grip on it. It was his, it was his lifeline. It's how he was going to win the battle. That needs to be our attitude with the word of God. Nothing's going to wrest the, the word of God out of my hand. It is my weapon of defense. It is my weapon of offense. It is how I engage the battle. And I'm going to have a death grip on it no matter what. You'd have to pry it out of my hand. Amen. Amen. Let's see if I can say this from a major The Bible, next, is a most powerful weapon, a most powerful weapon. There is so much power in the Word of God, and I, I think here at Grace Church we get that, we understand that, but I want to emphasize it again tonight. The Word of God is powerful. It's the Word of God that spoke the worlds into existence. He spoke, and things were created. Things came into existence. Things that were not there before appeared when God spoke, that's the power of his word. Hebrews 11:3. through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. When we quote scripture, that's back to that Bible quiz. And when we, when we quote scripture, we're quoting the word of God. And there's power in that, the power of life and death in that. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's power in the word, tremendous power in the word. Hebrews 4.12, one of my favorites, I quote it often, almost daily. For the word of God is quick. Well, get the sword back out. I have to make sure we put it back up carefully. The word of God is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let the high praises, Psalm 149, of God be in my mouth and a two-edged sword in my hand. The word is our weapon, and we can use it as a very, very powerful weapon against the enemy. We can use it in prayer, you can quote the word of God in prayer. When, when you're stuck praying, we all get stuck praying, okay? It happens to us all. You kind of just hit that roadblock, not sure what, what's going on, maybe not sure if your words are making it out of the room. 
Start quoting scripture. Start reading. Get your Bible out and start reading scripture. And things will begin to open up for you. Strongholds will begin, begin to come down. Walls will begin to fall. Things will begin to happen in your prayer. It's powerful. You can declare your word over your family. I've walked through my house before reading the word of God, just declaring the word in my home, getting it into the atmosphere. And you can quote it to your enemy. You can quote the word of God to your enemy. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. You can quote the word of God. Very powerful weapon. You can quote the word of God in power to yourself. Struggling with depression, anxiety, fear, hopelessness, whatever. You need healing, need forgiveness of sin. Quote the word of God to yourself. Draw strength from it. Use it as the powerful weapon it is because the victorious Christian is the one who picks it up and uses it to win battles and take back territory in their walk with God. Amen. Amen. So why then is the, this weapon being so powerful and indestructible, uh, divinely inspired word of God, why then is it a most underused weapon? It is a most underused weapon. According to a 2019 LifeWay research study, one-third of American Protestants read their Bible every day. Just one-third of American Protestants read their Bible every day. Almost a quarter, or a little over a quarter, 27% say they read it a few times a week. A George Barna study, 2018, said overall about half of Americans are Bible users. That is, here's how they define that. They engage with the Bible on their own by using, listening to, watching, praying, or using Bible text or content in any format at least three or four times a year. So that's... You know, Barna was being really generous to get this number up to 48%, almost half, three or four times a year, uh, three or four times a year, not counting in church on their own. I, I thought about it. It's almost like the dark ages in reverse, our, our day that we're in right now. If we're not engaging with the Bible at that level as, as broadly, not talking about our church, not talking about the apostolic movement, broadly, People are not engaging with the Word of God. It's almost like the Dark Ages in reverse. In the Dark Ages, people didn't have access to the Word of God. So they were manipulated. They were at the mercy of those that did have access. And they taught the Word of God like they saw fit and used it as, a, as manipulation. And could get people to do what they want. And the people, they didn't know any better. It, it was kind of innocent in that regard. They didn't have anything, they didn't know any different. Now we have infinite access to the Word of God, but we're content to let the ministry and the Bible teachers teach it to us without any motivation to go deeper in our walk with God or to fact check what's being taught and preached, right? So we have the ability now to, to engage with the Word of God like never before, but we're using it probably, again, broadly less than ever before. So it's time to start using this weapon. Let's don't let it be an underused weapon in our lives, in our family, in our walk with God, in our church. No greater weapon as I've already demonstrated. Jesus, of course, used it as a weapon. It is written, he said, but to use the word effectively, to use the word effectively like Jesus did, we got to know it. It can't be neglected. It can't be just something we pick up three or four times a year. We have to know the word of God. 
And the reason is very simple. It's found in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And this speaks a little bit further even to what Brother Holloway was saying. I know I gave you no background into to what he was really, uh, the scriptures he was using to, to talk about that we have to know the doctrine, we have to know the word of God to survive. And, and this is the point right here. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If we're going to survive in this day, we've got to know and we've got to understand and we've got to use the Bible appropriately. If we don't know the word, if we aren't continuing on a quest to have more of it in our lives on a daily basis, how will we know error when we see it or hear it? How will we be able to discern what's of God and what is not of God? And this is, I guess this is what concerns me is we live in a day now, everybody has a platform, right? If, you, if somebody wants to get out there and say something and, and do whatever, they, they can. And so many people will believe them and follow after them and say, amen, brother, amen, without ever stopping to, to, to dig a little bit deeper and say, hey, does that line up with the word of God? Is that what the Bible really says? Is that, is that a true and accurate interpretation of the word? You can't just take a, script, a verse of scripture out of context. You can't just take one and, and say, this, this says this. You gotta, you gotta know it, you gotta study it, you gotta understand it. And with all of the information coming at us, social media and all the other things, the advertisements and all that stuff and people saying anything and doctrines coming and going, we got to know the word. We got to interact with the word. We got to have it. So how do we do that? I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying here. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get here very quickly. There's a couple things I want to just highlight. The way we, how can we do all these things? How can, we, how can we take the sword? How can we lift it up and engage the battle and, and do the things that, that I've described? Well, there's a number of ways. First of all, we can memorize the word, and we should memorize the word. Um, that's, of course, Bible quizzing uh, that I've already alluded to. Uh, our young people, I strongly encourage Bible quizzing. I was privileged. I grew up and, and was, uh, my parents sent me to an apostolic Christian school through eighth grade, and a big part of our curriculum was to memorize Scripture. We would memorize large portions of Scripture, and then we'd have to stand up in front of the class and recite it for a grade. So I was blessed, even though I wasn't in Bible quizzing, uh, I was exposed to an opportunity to memorize Scripture. I encourage you to memorize Scripture. And, and here's the thing. You, you, you say, well, you know, my, my memory's fading, and I ain't quite as sharp as I used to be, and I'm starting to feel that way more and more every day. But a little bit of work, you'll be surprised. For one thing, it's good for your mental health. It'll help keep you sharp, but... A little bit of work, you'll be surprised. Start with an easy verse. Jesus wept. There you go. That's a, that'd be a good one to start with right there. That's a verse. You just, you just memorized a verse here tonight in church. Jesus wept. Uh, but start small. You know, don't, don't go try to memorize the whole book of, you know, Psalm. Don't go memorize Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. You know, start small, start easy, but memorize it. Get, in, get it into your spirit and into your head and I've got more examples here. There's things I wanted to share, but I've, I've got to move along. But just suffice it to say, there have been people throughout history who thought they would never find themselves in a place where their Bible would be taken away from them, but it was. And they were thankful that they had spent time memorizing the Word of God because that's all that they had. And while that seems very foreign to us sitting here tonight, you never know. You never know where things are going. So we must memorize the Word of God. we got to, we got to, Memorize it. We got to read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Did you know that just if you read, get on a plan and read 15 minutes a day, 
you will have read the Bible through by the end of the year. Uh, 15 minutes a day is not a lot. That's not a big chunk of time. That's not even your lunch hour. That's just, a, what, a quarter of your lunch hour. So that can be done. I'm not saying that your goal should necessarily be to read the Bible through all the way. I do think that's a worthy goal. It's something uh, Fair and I do just about every year. Uh, last year, we didn't start till July, so we read the Bible through in six months. That was a new experience for us. took a little longer than 15 minutes a day. But uh, if, if you aspire to read the Bible through all, all the way through, or if you in, if aspire to read the Bible all the way through, it can be done in as little as 15 minutes a day. But what I want to encourage you tonight, the, you know, if you're just starting out and wanting to do some of these things, don't necessarily tackle reading the Bible through, but get on a reading plan. You know, read through the Psalms, read through the New Testament, um, read through the epistles, um, you know, uh, read, read Proverbs, spend a, a day uh, or even a month, re, or, um, yes, a month reading one Proverbs a day. It comes out, I believe there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, if I'm not mistaken, and it comes out for a month that has 31 days. You'll have read the book of Proverbs in a month. But just find a plan and read something daily is the point. And I do want to pause long enough to share this with you. From Eugene Peterson, I, I think he says it the best right here. This is the point. It's a little bit lengthy, but stay with me. Peterson said, as we cultivate a participatory mindset in relation to our Bibles, we need to complete, I'm sorry, we need a complete renovation of our imagination. We are accustomed to thinking of biblical world as smaller than the secular world. Telltale phrases give us away. We talk of making the Bible relevant to the world as if the world is the fundamental reality and the Bible something that is going to help it or fix it. We talk about fitting the Bible into our lives. I just did that. Um, or making room in our day for the Bible as if the Bible is something that we can add onto or squeeze into our already full lives. What we must never be encouraged to do is to force Scripture to fit our experience. Our experience is too small. It's like trying to put the ocean in a thimble. What we want is to fit into the world. What we want is to fit into the world revealed by Scripture and to swim in this vast ocean. And that's the end of his quote. I like the way he puts that. I think that pretty much nails it. Uh, we need to study the word. We must spend time studying the word. Memorize it, read it, but study it. Get you a Bible app, get you. Um, you know, some Bible study tools, get a cross-reference, a concordance, whatever you need, a notebook, a pen, and spend some time going a little bit deeper. We got to do that. We got to spend some time going a little bit deeper. Cross-reference the doctrines of the Bible, uh, cross-reference, you know, different things, but how we, there's, you can find different studies out there. I know you know how to do it. Uh, last, I'll say, is we need to handle the Word of God. Imagine this, okay? So before phones and uh, the technology we have today, we always brought our Bibles to church and we had sword drills. Remember, I think they do have sword drills in some of the Sunday school classes still, which is awesome. And you have to turn to it. Um, but the other part of that is when we were kids, I mean, let's be honest, you know, sometimes our attention would drift during the service. And so you had two options. There were two books that you could thumb through, the hymnal and the Bible. <laughs> and we were very familiar with both. And, uh, and so there is, my point is this, there's value in handling a physical copy of the Word of God. So imagine tonight, uh, we've been in a lot of Scripture tonight. What if you had turned to every Scripture we read, okay? 
I'm thankful for the screen. Screen's not going away. We're going to have it. I'm thankful for the iPhone to pull it up quick. I use that a lot. But just think, if you had turned physically to every verse we read tonight, you would you be, man, you'd know, okay, yeah, that's, uh, you know, Timothy's all the way kind of back towards the back, and, you know, Samuel's back over in the Old Testament. You'd get a, just a real good handling of the Word of God and an understanding of the Word of God. 1 John 1 and 1, that which was, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. And he's talking about their experience with Jesus, but it, it applies to the word of life, the word of God. Our hands have handled it. Got to handle the word of God. So I conclude with this. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to let you go. I want to read this to you, though. It's, it's a little bit here, but stay with me. Billy Sunday wrote this about the word of God. And I want to close with this because it's inspiring. I want you to, I want you to leave out of here inspired to, to, to interact with the Word of God in a new and fresh way. Listen how Billy Sunday describes interacting and handling and being in the pages of the Word of God. This is what he said. He said, I entered the portico of Genesis. I walked down the corridor of the Old Testament art galleries where pictures of Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel hang on the wall. I passed into the music room of the Psalms where the Spirit sweeps the keyboard of nature until it seems that every reed and pipe in God's great organ responds to the harp of David, the sweet singer of Israel. I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes where the voice of the preacher is heard and into the conservatory of Sharon in the lily of the valley where sweet spices filled and perfumed my life. I entered the business office of Proverbs and on into the observatory of the prophets where I saw telescopes of various sizes pointing to far-off events, concentrating on the bright and morning star, which was to rise above the moonlit hills of Judea for all salvation and redemption. I entered the audience room of the King of Kings, catching a vision written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thence into the correspondence room of Paul, Peter, James, and John writing their epistles. I stepped into the throne room of Revelation where tower the glittering peaks, where sits the King of Kings upon his throne of glory with the healing of the nations in his hand. Hey, the Bible is a great adventure. It's a powerful weapon. It's a divine weapon. It's a weapon we need to use. But there's great, great adventure in these pages. God can take you places through his word. Do you believe it tonight? Amen. Amen. Would you clap your hands to Jesus one more time tonight? Thank you for his word. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Hallelujah. You've not, you've not left us without a weapon, and there is no weapon like this one. God bless you, Grace Church. Thank you for being here tonight. Great crowd. We will see you on Sunday morning. God bless you in Jesus' name.